Welcome to 20 Minute Tabletop, a podcast sharing the love of all things tabletop gaming in bite-sized pieces. I'm your host, John Wickey, here today with my partner in crime, Stevie. Today, we're going to talk about my new favorite role-playing game from Evil Hat Productions. We're off to Duskfall, home to Blades in the Dark. Get your favorite scoundrels gathered around for this one, because we're going on a heist. So, let's turn to the back of the book. See what it did there? Blades in the Dark is a tabletop role-playing game about a crew of daring scoundrels seeking their fortunes on the haunted streets of an industrial fantasy city. There are heists, chases, occult mysteries, dangerous bargains, bloody skirmishes, and above all, riches to be had if you're bold enough to seize them. You and your fledgling crew must thrive amidst the threats of rival gangs, powerful noble families, vengeful ghosts, the bluecoats of the city watch, and the siren song of your scoundrel's own vices. Will you rise to power in the criminal underworld? What will you be willing to do to get to the top? Blades in the Dark is written by John Harper and is from Evil Hat Publishing. I truly love a lot of their stuff. Hi, John Harper. So let's talk first impressions. My first experience with Blades in the Dark was actually listening to the Haunted City podcast by Glass Cannon, and it's basically steampunk dystopian rogue stuff. I love playing a rogue in Pathfinder and D&D, so this was really exciting to find a game full of stealing and sneaking and all that like rogue stuff that I love to do. I too started with Jared Logan, but when he ran Blades for some of the Glass Cannon crew, plus Russ Bryant, it was just something that was so different from what I had played, and I really wanted more of that. When they launched Haunted City, that whole crew just made it one of my favorite shows, and I'm so excited for their new season. The mechanics just opened the door for something so unique and fun. I love the shared crew sheet that you all create together, and the way that you don't actually plan, you just run with it, and you flash back when you need to. Let's start with the setup of the role-playing game, which in this case is character creation. So the setup basically comes down to character creation and crew creation. When you build your character, you choose a playbook. You can choose from Cutter, Hound, Leech, Lurk, Slide, Spider, and Whisper. You pick a character name. You pick a heritage from where you are in the Shattered Isles before you came to Duskfall and what your background was before you joined the crew. So you get three dots for your playbook that come set up by default by what you choose. Then you get to choose one free for, you know, to express your heritage, another one meant to express your background, and then two to put anywhere you want for a total of seven. Then you pick your special ability. We can talk some more about these examples, but these are the special things that make your character your own from those playbooks. Finally, you're going to choose a friend, a rival, and a vice. So your friend is going to be someone that could help you out, either giving you a lead on a job, giving you information. Your rival is someone that may get in your way. This gives the GM something to work with when they're giving you jobs to do. Finally, your vice is how you deal with stress. Stress is a key mechanic we'll talk about. Basically, during a score, you build up stress and you need to bring it down in between, and you do this by indulging your vice, such as gambling, luxury, stupor, or even weird. You know, and the thing I love about that too, you don't have to come up with the rival and your friend all on your own. They give you ones on the sheet. They give you a name and their profession or what they are. So it kind of gives you some built-in options to easily choose from. Yeah, it's nice because everything you could possibly need for this game, John Harper has put into the book. You don't need to come up with names for your friends. You don't need to come up with names for your rivals. Like, it's all there. So then we're going to build the crew. And I love this part because it's collaborative. Together you choose what your crew type is. You have the assassins, the bravos, occult, the hawkers, the shadows, smugglers. 
This kind of determines the type of scores that you excel at and get extra XP for, but they never limits your options for jobs. I mean, the particular crew you guys created are hawkers, and the latest job that we ran last night was an assassination, so it does not lock you in at all. Then you have to make some additional selections. You pick a reputation, you get yourself a lair, you choose your hunting grounds to operate in, and specifically this is just kind of the area of Duskfall that you're going to work in. You select two upgrades for your crew, and then you select a favored contact, which works very similarly to the friend that they can give you information, assistance, jobs, etc. That sounds easy. Well, the best part is those choices also affect your relationships starting out. So your hunting ground means you're moving on someone's territory. So you either have to pay up or you start out in a bad relationship with them. Your upgrades mean you have a good relationship with someone because they helped you get that upgrade and a bad relationship with someone else who was affected by your upgrade that you got. And even your contact makes you inherit good and bad relationships based on them. Just in crew creation, you have starting points for where you sit in the city and where you're starting out. It only expands from there. There are crews set up all across the city. So after you set up your characters and your crew, it's time to get going. It took us about an hour to do both, but we have some really prolific storytellers in our group, myself included, who do flesh out the tiniest of details. Normally, we would next have a mechanic section and an enjoyment section, but today we're going to switch it up a little bit. We're going to start with our enjoyment of the game, and then we'll jump into what it's like to play the game to blend the mechanics into what we enjoy. Let's go into that enjoyment of the game. I find this game to be a lot of fun. I find the improv nature of it to both be fun and stressful at times as the game master, but it is also collaboration, and I always end up having such a fun time, even if I'm stressed to figure out what I'm going to do in the moment. If you listen to our other episodes, such as the Pathfinder episode, you know I love all about telling a good story with my role-playing games, and this system just excels at that. I love the adventures and not necessarily having to have a moral alignment like you do in other RPGs. Heists are fun. The character concepts are really great to step outside the standard fantasy setup. The playbooks allow you to really customize your character, and one of the special abilities is even that you can take an ability from a different playbook, so you're not locked into the special abilities of your playbook. And so if you want your sneaky rogue to really be able to fight really well, you can take something from the cutter playbook to really build them your in your image. Right, and vice versa. If your cutter wants to be sneaky, they can take that ability from a different playbook. I enjoy that it's so different from some of the other stuff we've played. I love stepping into these different types of systems and different types of games. I think that's a good segue into our next section called Let's Play and talk about what makes this game different and what we enjoy about it. So let's play. Some of the ways that Blades in the Dark is different than some other TTRPG systems is that it uses a 2d6 system. Unlike some of those other systems, you only use one of those roles depending on the skills of your character. It's a really gritty game. Expect complications and obstacles frequently. Also, you don't get a chance to plan ahead. You have to employ what's called a flashback to help you complete that job. Stress is the currency of the game. It's how you affect the game. So you take stress to get yourself extra rolls to assist other people and use it to get flashbacks. And then you have to clear those stresses in your downtimes by indulging those vices. Injuries can get really problematic. Healing from an injury can be really challenging because you can do that during downtime, but if you don't roll well, it can really make it difficult. It's not like other TTRPGs where you have a certain amount of health points. Injuries go in a leveled system, and in order to reduce how severe your injury is, you have to progress through those levels. Doing so requires a lot of good rolls. Case in point, my character has gone on two jobs with a gunshot wound in their arm because I 
rolled so badly during downtime that I'm only half healed. So let's talk about the four phases of a Blades in the Dark game. There's free play, an engagement roll, your score, and the downtime. Typically, we start with the free play, which is where your characters talk to each other, they go places, they talk to contacts, they look for new scores. You may gather information, and this is also where you would choose your job. Once your crew makes the selection on a job, you move into the next phase, which is the engagement role. And this is kind of cool because like we said, you're just going to jump into it. You set up the score, you don't plan. You might do, like Stevie mentioned, some gathering information to have the basic details you need, but you're going to jump in, you're going to pick your approach, and that approach needs a detail. So you can choose an assault approach, which means you need the point of attack. You can choose deception, which means you need the method of that deception. Perhaps you want to go stealth. Well, the only detail you give me is that point of infiltration. How are you stealthing your way in there? Then you could also go for the occult, which you have to choose the arcane method of that occult plan. Or maybe you're going social. You just got to choose that social connection of how you're going into this job. And lastly, there's also transport, which you just choose the route and the means. That's it. You don't figure anything else but that one detail. And from listening to Haunted City and playing Blades in the Dark, I feel like the crew that you have and the playbooks on your crew can weigh heavily on how you choose your approach. We have two players that are connected socially, and then we have players who are fighters. So we often go the assault, the social, the stealth, the deception routes. I don't think we have yet done anything occult because we don't really have anyone with occult skills in our group. Yeah, and it really plays into that what skills you have of what's going to be the easiest way to take this down because that's what you want. you want. You want the score to go relatively smoothly. It rarely does, though. Let's be honest. And then you choose your loadouts. So this is what gear you're going in with. And you don't choose the gear in the moment. You just choose how much you're going to carry. You choose a light, a normal, or heavy loadout. So that choose whether you have three boxes to check, five, or seven. And you're given a pre-chosen list of gear. Sometimes if you are in certain playbooks, you have special items that don't count towards that loadout. But as you improvise your way through the job, what you'll do is you'll use your loadout to check off those items. So maybe you need to use a bandolier. When you get to that point, you check it off. That's one of your loadout items. Maybe you need to use a gun or a knife or some other weapon. When you get to that point, you check it off of your loadout. And each playbook has a different list of gear. Everybody has a standard list of things that anybody can have, and then you have specialized things to that playbook that are your own. So you have kind of all these different things you can do, and it's part of that planning. You don't plan what you're going to need. You need it in the moment. But if you check everything off and you've used all five of your items of your normal loadout, well, then you got nothing more to pull from, and you're in trouble. And then there's also other things that can affect this. So I particularly like that you guys have the Hawker upgrade, which is called Hawker Rigging. And you get an item that is concealed and doesn't count against your load. So you get one item essentially for free on your load and it's perfectly hidden, whatever you want it to be. Right. So the actual engagement role is based on advantages and disadvantages that will determine how many D6s are rolled to determine how the score starts. So there's a list that the GM will go through and decide how many dice are going to be rolled. Depending on what that roll is, you might start the heist in a very controlled position already in place exactly where you want to be, or you may start out in a desperate position and everything's already falling apart. And then you jump into the score, and this is where the action takes place. This is also where you meet the consequences for your actions. 
And the heist is done when either you're successful in it or you can abort the mission. You can choose to just back out because you didn't go well. You're not going to earn anything from it, but you can choose to back out. And sometimes backing out of that mission has consequences as well. And when we get into the score, it's very, we just go through the story and make it up as we go along. We have the general idea. You're going to face some obstacles and you got to figure out how to get past those. And the thing I like about it is I don't roll as the GM. It's all about you guys rolling. Even when you're going to get attacked, it's you can try to do something to stop it or the consequences you get hit. I like it because there's not much eye roll other than, you know, the occasionally a fortune roll to kind of see how something's going to lay out for you guys. Otherwise, it is all on the players and we build a collaborative of what that story is. I have some ideas where it's going, but your actions as players very much affects where that goes. It, it sometimes doesn't go anywhere where I thought it was going to go to get to the end. As long as we're accomplishing the goal, what we set out to and having a fun time doing it, that's all that really matters. Right. And like you said, as a player, we do the majority of the rolling, and these are called action rolls. Every playbook has action ratings, and those are the ways you engage during your heist, as well as at other times. I'm not going to list all of them, but these are kind of like your skills in other RPGs. They can include things like a tune, which has to do with attuning to the spirits and the ghosts of Duskfall, and that's used often by individuals that are attached to the occult. You can consort. This is about communicating and kind of swaying people to your way of thinking. You can study. You can survey, right? Get information on things. You can tinker, which is kind of like unlock a door or mess with equipment. Or you could just straight up wreck something. I love it because then you have dots in each of these, or as we also call them, pips. And you can train to get more. So you can train to get XP in those to then earn more dots. Or you can also, when you take de- every time you take a desperate action, it gets you an XP in that area. It doesn't matter if you have a dot, no matter what you can roll. So for every dot you have, you roll one dice. If you have no dots in it, you can still attempt it. You're just going to roll two dice and take the worst. So you're never excluded from taking an action. When you want to do something potentially dangerous or troublesome, that's where we get an action roll. It's not for every little thing you do. It's just when there could be that kind of consequence. So you, as the player, pick the action you want to use. You just tell me how you're going to use that action to do what you want to do. If you're fighting somebody, you could very easily say, I'm going to finesse it because you're being very precise and looping around them and just very flowy with it. Or you could skirmish, which is kind of straight up fighting with them. Or you could absolutely wreck, which just means you're just going hauling out on them trying to smash them. Any of those things can be used to do those things. So you tell me what action you want to use, and it's up to the player. And then I, as the GM, set the position and the effect. So how risky it is and how well it will work. So sometimes if you use a different skill, it might be riskier to use that skill to accomplish the action. But also just risky is how bad things are going to go. So if you succeed or fail, the worse the position you're in, the worse the consequences are also going to be. Right. There are also ways to get bonus dice to help yourself out. You can push yourself and pay two stress to get an extra die. Someone on your crew can assist you and take one stress to get you an extra die. You can take a riskier position for extra dice or for better effect. For riskier positions, like we mentioned before, the consequences if you fail are way worse. And then the last one is called a devil's bargain. That is my personal favorite. The GM offers you a deal for either extra dice or extra effect at a cost. And you can always say no, but will you resist the temptation? Generally, I like to give things where this is what's going to happen no matter what. And sometimes the deal is, hey, if you do this, this is what you're going to get. This is what's going to happen no matter what, succeed or fail. Sometimes I try to be a little nicer, but I make it that much more severe if you're going to fail. That, hey, I'll give you that extra dice, but if you fail at all 
anything but a full success, you're getting shot and you're getting an injury versus eh, maybe you only get a light injury if you get a partial success. You only get a little shot, right? Yeah, just a little shot, grazed. So if you get multiple sixes, that's considered a critical success. One six is a success. A four or a five is success with a consequence. And one to three is considered a failure. So when you think about the fact that depending on the situation, taking the worse or the better, you still have like a really high chance of failure when one, two, and three are all failures. It's really hard to be completely successful at any action in this game, which is what makes it interesting. This is not complaining. This is saying this is what makes it intriguing. But on the flip side, you have a 50-50 chance of being successful with a consequence, but successful. You have 50-50 chance of getting that partial success. Now, those failures as they come at a cost, the worst position, the worst effect. When you're taking risky, you might get just a regular harm. If you're going desperate, you could get a, you know, a severe harm. The complication could be just related to what you were attempting to do. So maybe you knock the guard down, but you leave yourself open. Actually, one that happened last night was a group of thugs were running at the player, and they decided they were going to try and take one out, and they got a partial success. So they took the one guard out, but the other one was able to jump on them. So they didn't try to take them all out, because you can't fighting everybody at once isn't really going to work well, but they were able to get do what they wanted, but the cost of being tackled by another guard. You could also take harm. So you succeed at the jump, and you twist your ankle, or maybe you fail, and you fall, and you break that ankle. As I said, if it's desperate you're going to get a worse harm and then you can always resist the consequences it doesn't mean you don't fail if you fail you still fail you can just resist the consequences of it and by taking stress so what you do is you roll the attribute insight prowess or resolve to whatever action you took and you use the number of dots that you have so there's four skills under each of those and whichever ones you have any dots in you count as one you roll those dice and whatever you roll the highest roll you take six minus the roll in stress Resisting consequences can be a huge gamble because like John said, you take six minus whatever your role is. So yeah, you can totally take five stress. And when your stress meter gets filled up, you're knocked unconscious and you're out of the heist, which means your crew can no longer rely on you for assistance and they have to drag your unconscious body back to the lair in addition to whatever you're trying to do. However, there are other times where resisting consequences might be really beneficial even if you're taking those five stress. Because maybe you need to not take a level three harm, or maybe you really need to slide past this guy unnoticed. Like I said, it doesn't maybe mean you succeed, but maybe they turn too slowly and don't see you when you knock something over. And then the other thing that you have because you don't plan are flashbacks. Stress is a way to get extra dice and to resist consequences. You can also use it for flashbacks. A flashback allows you to go back and do something that you did to prepare. So the idea is if you worked out this full plan, you accounted for this contingency. Or you can be like, actually, I thought about this and I was prepared in this exact way. The more complex the flashback, the more stress you're going to take for it. But very simple things that you could easily have done and are no-brainers, you can take no stress for a flashback if it's just that straightforward. But the more complicated ones, you take more stress. And if you need something that would have required a downtime activity, you have to pay a coin in order to do that as well. So flashbacks are what allows you to not make any plans and just jump two feet into this. There was a heist that we did that was basically an extortion. And we used flashbacks to say, oh, we planted this person of our crew as a waiter at this restaurant where we were extorting this person. And we flashed back and, oh, we had these forged documents ready. So depending on what you're doing, you may still have to roll to see how good your forgery is, or how well you infiltrated the waiters at the restaurant to make them believe that, like, you're actually there to work and not to extort all this money out of somebody. 
Another cool mechanic that they have in Blades in the Dark are clocks. And clocks allow you for anything that's going to take a while to tick off. Those could be, as we mentioned, a healing clock already where you have four segments to heal. They could be for things such as long-term projects that we'll talk about in downtime. Or they could be a lot of times in the heist. So if you're going through and you're infiltrating this area, once you start to make a little bit of noise, as a GM, I'm probably going to create a clock for the alarm is going to be raised. When you have those partial successes or failures, that's going to tick that clock up. And they can be any number of segments you want them to be. So they can be four segments, they can be six, they can be eight. They're what you want to, but they're going to, they're going to tick their way up as things go wrong or as more things happen. I think I've used them in times where you guys were breaking into a place and it was basically, you started making a lot of noise. So it was basically that the blue coats were going to be called and start showing up. The more noise you made, the worse that kind of got for you. Right. And failures in that case can sometimes make the clock tick by faster. So filling two segments of the clock instead of only one, right? Success with a consequence can be, I'm going to tick one off, but you're successful. Whereas a failure can say, "Mm, I'm going to fill in two. So that really kind of limits how much you can fail before you have to abandon the job as well. And then after score is over, we jump into downtime. Downtime begins with your payout, your heat, and your entanglements from the score. Payout is the reputation and the coin that you earn. And the reputation is needed for you to move to a higher tier. This is how you kind of advance and grow in strength, get extra skills, etc. Coin allows you to do things like buy extra downtime activities, but you also need coin to move up in tier. Your crew also earns experience points that can earn you more upgrades or level up different attributes of the crew. Heat is your reputation with the law. No heat equals no rep. So you need to have some heat. Now, the downside is the more heat you get, the worse your entanglements are. And you can earn what's called a wanted level, meaning that somebody wants you in jail. The more chaotic and the louder your score is, the more heat you're going to earn on that job. Finally, entanglements are the result of the heat in the score. It might mean that the blue codes pick up a friend or a connection for a uh, chat. It could mean another crew tries to make a show of force or intimidate you. You may gain notice from a demon or someone gets arrested, but you know, you decide which one of those is actually worse. And kind of this is all the outcome of what you did. So you're going to grow in reputation, you're going to grow in renown. Sometimes those jobs, instead of coin, maybe you're going to get turf instead. Sometimes with that reputation, it's not just your rep you're getting, but maybe it's going to affect your relationship with other crews and other factions. Because you know what? Yeah, if you steal something from another crew, they're not going to like you. And you're going to earn the reputation. So it's kind of like you can't say, well, they don't know it was us. Well, then no one knows it was you. Like Then you don't earn the reputation for it. It's kind of like a Notions 11 sort of thing where, you know, they know it was you, but they don't know it was you. So you get that reputation for it. The entanglements are something you're also going to have to deal with as a crew, in addition to anything that may have happened on the job, whether it was somebody stressed themselves out and took a trauma or someone got injured. And those entanglements come with a chart. So there's a different set for if you're having one to three heat, four or five and six plus. So like the more heat you have, you're naturally going to get worse results. So like we said, the first half of downtime is that payout, heat and entanglement. The second half of downtime is resolving injury, relieving stress, or taking on a long-term project. So to relieve injury, you need a physiker. You need to fill a four-segment clock like we mentioned. And when that four-segment clock is filled, your harms go down a level. So a level three becomes a level two. A level two becomes a level one. When you fill your level one clock, your harm is healed. It goes away. 
And if you ever get to level four harm, well, you're out. You're either dead or disabled and, you know, you're not going to move forward. So that's why injury is an important one, like John said, to deal with because the harm bars fill up sometimes faster than your clocks bring them down. And then you can indulge your vice to get rid of some of your stress. So what you do is you take your lowest attribute and roll the number of dots you have in there to, and you clear that many stress. So you can easily clear six or you can clear only one. So it can really go either way. So sometimes you're almost full up on stress and you need to get that down and you're really not making the move you need. And that can get really tough of well, do I go back in the score or not? Because if you fill your stress, you get a trauma. If you get four traumas, your character is forced to retire that's another way for your character to go. Now they don't die, but that's when they're forced to retire and they cannot go on any more scores. Now on the flip side, if you clear more stress than you have to clear, so say you had five stress, you roll a six, you will overindulge in your vice, which means you can attract trouble, you can gain heat, you can get lost for a while, or you can get cut off by your purveyor. You also can work to gain an asset or work on a long-term project. So long-term projects can be from anything from making something to gathering dirt on somebody or getting a complex plan into motion. Those clocks get number of segments get set by your GM, and then you work to build them up and you roll on them with your different skills. So the smallest is four. It can go up from there. Anything that may be too big, maybe you may have multiple clocks of different phases you need to fill it up. I mean, and if you're on Haunted City, your long-term project can be bringing back someone's dead lover. Shout out to Haunted City. I love you. And so all this goes in downtime. Everybody gets two that they get to choose. And then from there, you can pay coin to get extras. So it kind of you can do more as you want to. But then you go right back into your free play and right back into your next score. So let's talk about that length of play. Like any role playing game, it can vary. For our group, score one cycle from free play to score to downtime can take about two to three hours. We usually start with personal downtime activities, then we roll into free play, then the score, complete the score, and we'll do the payoff heat and entanglements resulting from the score in the beginning of downtime. We'll stop there, and then on the next session, we'll pick up with individual downtime activities. So we kind of split that downtime in half. And what I like about this is this game works really well for when you have potentially inconsistent schedules with people because you have a crew. No one says everyone on the crew is going to go on every job. So this is great. So if you have a number of people where sometimes one person can't make it each week, you can still roll forward with this. As long as you complete a score, you can move forward in the next one. It doesn't matter who's there and who's not there. So that's why we did it this way is that we get through the score, we get the result of the score while it's still fresh in our mind, but then people can take care of their stress and everything else the next time. And we start with that and we move into a score. And so it allows you to have this very crew where you could have seven people on the crew. Now you don't want to run with all seven at once, but you can run with whoever's there with as many or as little as you get there. And if you only have a couple of people, maybe you don't take on the super complex scores and you work your way from there. Right. And I can say personally, I've missed a score or two. So starting the session with those personal downtime activities helps a lot because I didn't get to them the last time I played. So this gives me a chance to do my downtime before we go into the next score. Like I said, my character is currently healing from a gunshot wound. So the next time I play, since I missed last night's game, I'll start with my personal downtime, which will include healing or trying to heal that gunshot wound. And then I'll get to do the score, I'll get the payoff, I'll get my XP, but putting those downtimes at the beginning I think is really helpful because you can choose what needs to be done based on the status of your character, even if you missed a, hi a heist or a score in the middle. Another thing I'd like to call out is, you know, from this there is Forge in the Dark, which is their basic way of using these base rules to make other games. 
So one of the other ones that we own that we haven't played yet is called Scum and Villainy, which from what I've been told is essentially Blades in the Dark in space. So Forge in the Dark allows anyone to make games based off of this system and use this idea of playbooks and these mechanics to build something else. The one I want to see is I want to see this applied to pirates, where you could have that cruise sheet be your pirate ship and essentially just heists on the sea. Maybe we need to write that. I'm just saying. So final impressions, John? My final thoughts is that this is just a great, fun game that is a different way to play. I love the setting. I love the playbooks. I love everything about it. And I love the storytelling. More heists, more coin, fewer reservations. I'm your host, John Wiki, and you can find me on Twitter as John underscore Wiki. That's W-I-C-K-E-E. And I'm Stevie. You can find me on social media at Stevie's underscore games. Twenty Minute Tabletop is a Morecore Studios production. Theme song by Arthur Rowan. Morecore art by Cedar Duncan. Do you want more tabletop gaming fun? Subscribe to Twenty Minute Tabletop on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Find out more on our website, TwentyMinTabletop.com. That's the numbers two zero M I N Tabletop.com. Or connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Twenty Minute Tabletop. That's at two zero M I N Tabletop. Thank you and roll with fortune. Oh, this is going to be a long episode. I'm going to have to cut some. This is going to be like Ode to John Harper and his greatness. (laughs)